Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Uh, come on, let's just talk to the Lord for a few more minutes this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't want to rush the presence of God right now. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we're so grateful. You're our way maker, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Feel the presence of the Lord here this morning. And that's why we come. Because we want to be in His presence. But we don't want to just be in His presence and go, well, that was a great service. Amen. We want to be in His presence so that we can be changed. Amen. When the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders looked at the disciples and the disciples had just preached in the temple and they're questioning them, the Bible says they looked at them and they could tell that they had been with Jesus. When we walk out these doors, we want people to look at us and say, oh, those people, they've been with Jesus. Amen. That's why we come. We want our lives to be changed. Amen. We don't want to be the same. But we are growing in grace, growing in truth, amen, and coming to know the Lord. Praise the Lord. Waymaker, aren't you glad he is our waymaker, amen? And that ties in nicely, I think, with what I want to preach or teach about this morning. While you're standing, why don't you grab your Bibles? I'll read my text. You're going to need to keep your Bibles handy because we're going to be using them a bit this morning. I'm not sure really if I'm going to preach or if I'm going to teach, but I feel like God would have me teach on this. And who knows? We'll just see what God does. Amen. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read the first three verses. Say amen when you're there. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. We spoke about, we sung about rather, Jesus being our way maker. Amen. And I guess in a way of thinking, a covenant is how God made a way for us. To be able to be in relationship with Him. And so this morning with the help of the Lord, I want to preach, teach, whatever you want to call it, about a people of covenant. A people of covenant. Praise the Lord. Let's just pray one more time. Jesus, we're grateful your presence is here. Let your anointing rest on all of our hearts, Lord. As your word comes forth, Lord Jesus, help us to hear, to listen, to obey, Lord God. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's good to see everyone that is in God's house this morning. Amen. We have a few visitors here. We're very glad that you've come. Amen. Our church, our vision is to reach, make, 
belong. Amen. And for those of you who call this church home, you know that we live and breathe that everywhere we can. Amen. We want to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples. We are not interested in just creating just people who are saved, but we want to see people in their journey with God grow and learn and develop. Amen. We want to make disciples. That's what that means. And we want to create a community where people can belong. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I want to talk to you about the people of covenant today because we are a people of covenant. And I recognize that the problem with dealing with covenants, of course, is that pretty much the entire Bible covers covenants all the way through from the first very page where Abraham, sorry, God gave Adam a covenant, amen, and there was the Noahic, Noahic covenant, there was the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with the people of Israel, there's our covenant that we live in today, amen, and so you could really spend hours teaching about this, um, but I want to talk a little bit um, more specifically, if I can, about covenants, a people of covenant. From the very earliest beginnings of the history of God's people, they were called to be a people of covenant. The scripture that we read in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is the father of the faithful, but he is the father of the nation of Israel. Amen. And so he had a covenant from God. From the very beginning, the very first person who was part of the Hebrew children, God gave him a covenant. A covenant is a relationship that God establishes with people on the basis of his promises. Amen. And we see that in the scripture we just read. God asked Abraham or is Abram at the time, to leave his country, to leave his family, leave his father's house, and to go to a land that God would show him. But God then promised that he would make Abraham great, that he would bless him, that he would make his name great, and that he would be a blessing. Amen? A covenant. God promised to bless those who blessed him and to curse those who curse him, and through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we might come back to that a little bit later on. But this promise that God gave Abraham set in motion a plan that would lead to God's covenant people. Amen. And they were a special people. And because they were a special people, they were different to all the nations around them. They were called to be a holy people. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 40 the Bible says that they were called to be holy for your God. And in their holiness, they were called to be separate from all the nations that were around them. And so because of their holiness and because of their separation, the children of Israel were very, very different to everybody else around them. Amen. As a matter of fact, that verse we just read in, in Numbers Chapter 15, if you read a little bit further before that, the Bible says that the children of Israel were commanded to put tassels, blue tassels, around the bottom of their robes that they would wear. So wherever they would walk, they would see, oh, I am part of the covenant people. It was a constant reminder that they were in covenant with God. Amen. And so they would see that. They were commanded to do that. They were given rules about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, amen, and they were called to be separate, right? This is why some of those laws that you look at in the Old Testament, you think, that's a bit funny. Why would they have that law? You know, they weren't meant to mix grain together. 
You couldn't mix like wheat and barley together. You had to keep it separate. Why? Because they were a separate people and it was another reminder. We are separate. We are different from everybody else. We are not the same as the rest of this world. Amen. And of course, as the Hebrew children, they lived their lives in strict adherence to the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Israel, Yahweh Elhenu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were strictly monotheistic. They only believed in one God. There was no pluralities. There was not multiple gods. There was one God. And they were told they had to teach this to their children. They said, you've got to teach this to the children when they rise up, when you lie down, when you're out in the way, when you go into your house, when you come out of your house. And they were told they had to write it on the posts of their doors. As a matter of fact, true story. When I was in Melbourne, I went to visit, in the line of work that I was in in Melbourne, I went to visit a Jewish school. There was a Jewish school there, and I went to visit it because I was going to go talk to them. And on the doorposts of every single room that you would work, walk through, there was a little box on the door. And inside that little box was written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And an observant Jew, whenever they would walk through, would go through, and as they walked through the doorway, they would touch the box, and they would recite it. Shema Israel, Yahweh Elhenu, Yahweh Akkad. And that's how they taught their kids. Every time their kids would walk out the front door. Don't forget you got to say the Shema as you walk out. Don't go outside and play without saying the Shema. Amen. And so they would say, and so I did the same thing. When I walked through the door, I touched the box. Because I can believe in that. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen. I agree with that. Praise your Lord. They were tied, told they had to tie it to their boxes in little foreheads as well. And if you see the really observant Jews, they'll have little boxes tied to the back of their hands and boxes on their foreheads as well same thing contains the shema every time they write something they can see hero israel the lord our god the lord is one every time they look in the mirror is my hair okay i can see the box hero israel the lord our god the lord is one so they were very different to everybody else around them and 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 they were told in the very next verse deuteronomy 6 5 that you should love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength. See, here's the thing. The people of the covenant were not what made the covenant special. I'll say that again. The people of the covenant were not what made the covenant special. It was the God who gave them their covenant. That's what made the covenant special, and that's why they were commanded to love Him. Amen. This God they served, Yahweh. I said His name when I was quoting it in Hebrew. Yahweh, the God of Israel, He was like no other God. Amen. There were many other false gods. There were many other false deities out there, and many, many cults that followed them, but this God was different. Not only were the people of the covenant different, but this God that they served, he was different to all the other gods that were out there. So let's talk about the God of the covenant then. See, the God of the covenant was different because all the other false gods that were around there, they all had specific powers in specific areas, right? So if you, were, if you believed in the Egyptian pantheon, for example, you would pray to this particular God for the harvest, but you would pray to this particular God if you were about to go into war. Or you would pray for another God if you needed a good harvest, and then another God if you needed a good bit of sunshine, another God if you needed a bit of rain. You know, it was a God for all these different things, but the God of Israel, 
He was different. He had all the power, amen. And so you only prayed to the one God. If you were a member of the covenant people, you didn't have to worry about other gods. You just had to pray to the one God, amen. You could come to him for everything, right? So that's one area that they're different. Here's another area that they were different. The other false gods of the region around, they were usually confined to a specific area. You with me so far? So in other words, they had gods that were the gods of this particular town and gods of that particular town. And as a matter of fact, if you look at, look at Abraham's journey as he traveled from Haran down through Canaan and into Egypt, he would pass through the geographical areas of different gods. And he would walk into town and there'd be a new temple. Well, that temple is for, well, that temple is for our God. Our God is the powerful God in this area. But if you go too far south, well, that's another God's area. And so you'll need to talk to that God. Hello? And they had gods of the hills, they had gods of the valleys, they had gods of the sea, they had gods of the sun, gods of the weather, gods for everything, right? And so if you were going to go on a boat journey, you would pray to the god of the sea. There was no sense praying to the god of your town, he has no power in the sea. So you pray to the god of the sea, and the god of the sea would protect you. But when you get home, don't pray to the god of the sea to protect your house. He can't do it. He's got no jurisdiction there. You've got to pray to the God of your town, right? So every single God was different. But the God of Israel, he was different. Abraham's God traveled with him. He was still God wherever Abraham was. That's why the Bible calls him in, in the Hebrew, El Elyon, the most high God, God most high. He was above every other God. Why? Because it didn't matter what geographical area it was. didn't matter if you were in the sea or if you're in the town, if you're on the mountain, in a valley. He was still God. He never changed, amen. And then you look at when the children of Israel left. Their God went with them. That God didn't say, well, hang on, no, no, I'm only God in Egypt here. You're going to have to find another God in the wilderness, and then when you get to Canaan, get another God. No, but the children of Israel's God, their God traveled with them. How do we know that? Because they would come out of their tent, and remember, their tent doors would face the tabernacle, and they would see a pillar of fire over the tabernacle at nighttime, and a cloud by day. So they knew it didn't matter where we travel. It doesn't matter where we wander, whether we go north, south, east, or west, up a mountain, down a mountain. Our God is still with us. Our God is traveling with us. His presence is here with us. Amen. And, and then the other thing is, you know, these false gods, they were very, very different. Right? And they were very distant as well. They, they didn't seem to care very little for their people. They were locked away in large temples which nobody would be able to enter into. And they demanded much but gave pretty much nothing in return. But the God of Israel, the God of Israel was different. The God of Israel wanted to bless his people. The God of Israel wanted to give good things to his people to protect them and guard them. As a matter of fact, turn in your Bibles. Let's go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 22. Say amen when you're there. It 
6.22. And the Lord, notice in the King James, or the New King James Version, I'm not sure if it's in all versions, but notice it's got capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Most High God, the God we've been speaking about. That God spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Right, so this God wanted to bless his children. Right? The other gods just demanded, demanded, demanded. But this God, he wanted to bless. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Notice how in each one, it's got capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Okay? And then God says to Moses, he says in verse 27, So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. See how this God was actively involved in the lives of the children of Israel. He wanted to bless them. As a matter of fact, he wanted to go one further. He wanted them to be called by his name. And so every time the priests would give them this blessing, they were calling the name of Yahweh over the children of Israel as they would give them the blessing. They're saying, Yahweh wants to bless you. Yahweh will keep you. Yahweh will make his face to shine upon you, right? In other words, they're saying, this God, in your everyday life, in the places you go, the things you have to do, the Lord is going to bless you. God is going to keep you, amen? In each one of these things, they are areas where the people would experience the Lord working in the day-to-day lives as they walked around. Every part of their life was covered by the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep. That word keep is to guard, to guard you. Amen? The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They were putting the name of the Lord on the people of Israel. They shall put my name, verse 27, upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. In other words, you know, if you look at the Hebrew, the sense that you get when you read the Hebrew is that the priests were invoking the name of Yahweh over the people. Every time they would give them a blessing, the name of the Lord was spoken over them. Amen. And, and because they did this, it meant that God's name was important. Amen? Amen. God's name was important because it was not just something that identified the children of Israel to God, but it identified the children of Israel with God as well. Or in other words, every time they would have that blessing called over them, it was a reminder to them, we are separated to our God. Our God is a holy God. Our God is one. And our God is with us over and over again. The Lord bless you. They were calling the name of Yahweh down. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Amen. And they knew that because they were called by His name, He was their Savior. Amen. It says in Joel chapter 2 and verse 32 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. So they understood that. They understood the Old Testament theology was that if we are called by the name of the Lord, then we are saved. We will be saved because why? We are in covenant with God. Amen. And we see them putting this into practice. Amen. You see um, Jehoshaphat, when he is under attack, what does he do? He goes to the temple. He calls on the name of the Lord. Right? You see it happen with Moses. 
You see it happen with David over and over again. They call on the name of the Lord and God saves them. Why? Because He is their Savior, because they are the people of His name. Amen? Amen. So then the question is, how does this relate to us today? Because we've heard a bit about Old Testament history. How does that relate to us today? Well, first of all, like the children of Israel from the time of Abraham, from the very beginning of our walk with God, you and I are also called to be a people of covenant. Because the walk with God that we are on, it is not just a religion, and we're not just looking to tick a box, amen. We don't come to church because we want to be good people. We don't come here because we've got nothing better to do with our lives. But we are here today, the Bible puts it like this, that we are here because once there was a time when we were without Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is the blood of Christ that Peter speaks about. He says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot amen that was the blood that was shed so that we can be brought near to the covenant so we can be brought into the covenant that God has for us today amen and so like the children of Israel you and I are called to be people of covenant amen like the children of Israel not only are we called to be people of covenant but we are called to be holy as a matter of fact, just a few verses up from where I just quoted in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We are to be holy. This word holy, it means to be separated. It means to have a distinction between us and between everybody else. There ought to be something about our attitude and our life and the way we conduct ourselves. It says you guys are different. Yes, we are different because we're like the children of Israel. We are a covenant people. We are separated for God's glory. We are separated for His purpose. He is the only reason we live. Amen. We live for Him. We're covenant people. We're called to be holy. We're called to be separated, amen? And we're called to be different. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. I'm not going too fast, am I, Sister Janie? I'm doing all right? Okay. The problem with talking about covenants is we could, I could preach for like four or five hours if you want. Maybe I'll get one of my Bible college students to do a lesson on covenants. Yeah, my Bible college students are looking at me. They're all sweating bullets now. Looking at each other going, I volunteer to you, Sister Melly. First John chapter 2. See, the children of Israel were different. They were called to be different. You know, they had different rules and different laws and different regulations. They were so different from everybody else. Right, but look at this, John chapter, first John chapter 2, sorry. The epistle of John, not the gospel. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Right, this is what the Apostle John writes. He says, Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God stands forever. The children of Israel had prohibition on being able to even marry outside of the tribes of Israel. Why? Because they were to be a separate people. Amen. You and I, my friends, we are to be a separate people, not in terms of marriage, but in terms of this world. We cannot be sucked into the world system. We cannot stand for the values that they stand for. We cannot live like they try and live. We can't try and masquerade as people of this world while we're trying to serve the Lord. We can't live with a foot in this camp and a foot in that camp. The Bible says in James, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Amen. Why are you unstable? Because you cannot live for the world and you cannot live for God. You've got to pick one or the other. Amen. And as a people of covenant, we are called to turn our back onto the world, onto the world system, onto the values that they stand for, onto their beliefs, on their customs and say, no, no, I am living for God. I'm going to live my life according to His Word because I am a person of covenant. I am in a covenant relationship with God. And so I can't stand for what the world stands for. My value systems is different. My heart is different. My mind is different. Amen. This is why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. You can't. You can't be a Christian and try and conform to this way. He said you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can't be conformed to this world. Why? Because we're people of covenant. We are covenant people. We are called to a holy calling, to a high purpose in Christ Jesus. Amen. To be set aside and set apart for Him. Amen. And like the children of Israel, They were given the commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But then Jesus turns around in the New Testament. And the Pharisees come to him. And they say, Master, what is the greatest law? If you could sum up the entire Old Testament in one law, Jesus, what would it be? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. We are called to love God with everything that we have. Why? Because we are a covenant people. We're separated to Him. He's the only one that matters. Amen. The church is the bride of Christ. Amen. We are in love with Jesus. We want to spend all our time with Jesus. We want to be constantly communicating with Him. Why? Because we are called to be a covenant people separated to Him. And we do love our God with all of our heart. Why? Because our God is different. Our God is different to all the other gods that are out there. Amen. Now, we don't have false gods like the Egyptians did. We don't have people out there. I believe we might do. I don't know. Maybe there's a few people out there. We don't have people who bow down in front of altars of Osiris and the other Egyptian gods or in front of Zeus and the other Greek gods. And We don't have false gods like that. But there are false gods in this world 
that would claim influence over the lives of men and women in this world. It could be money, it could be fame, it could be sports, it could be cars, it could be an education, it could be a relationship with a boy or a girl, you could be a workaholic, amen. The gods of this world have changed their form, but they are there and they compete for the attention and for the love of the world. They desire your devotion and they want your commitment, but can I tell you today, they have no power to satisfy. Like the God of the Old Testament, they are just as false and they cannot meet the longing in your heart. They cannot answer the unspoken questions of the heart, nor can they dry the tears that roll down the eyes at nighttime. They promise so much, but they leave you with so little. They promise fullness, but these things just leave you feeling empty. But for those who are in a covenant relationship with God. Oh, he is far better than any false God that this world could ever conjure up to try and help you. Because just like Abraham, everywhere Abraham went, he went to Haran, God was there. He went through Canaan, the same God was there. He went down to Egypt, and the God of him, his God was still with him. Amen. Our God is the same. Hallelujah. When you are in a covenant relationship with God, he is with you every step of the way, every single mountaintop, every single dark valley, every victory you have in your life, and every defeat, every moment of joy, and in the moment your heart breaks, God is still with us, hallelujah, and even in those moments where I can't perceive Him and I can't feel Him, I still walk by faith and not by sight, why? Because my Bible tells me that He knows the way that I take, hallelujah, and he has promised that he will never leave us and that he will never forsake us. He has promised that he will be with us even till the end of the age. What does that mean, my brothers and sisters? When I am in a covenant relationship with God, it doesn't matter where I go, God is with me. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He's in covenant with me, hallelujah. He has committed himself to me and I might fail, I might make mistakes. I might walk out on God sometimes, but God is still there and He will honor His commitment and His covenant with His people. And the moment you turn back to Him, God is there saying, I never left you. I've always been here. I've seen every mistake. I've seen every failure. I've seen every problem. I've seen all the times you've let me down, but I did not leave you because I am in covenant relationship with you. That is the God that we serve. Hallelujah. This is why in a world that is full of hopelessness, like the Apostle Peter, we can cry, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, my friends, this covenant relationship that we can have with God. 
it is beyond anything else in this world. Nothing can satisfy like a covenant relationship with Jesus. And it is a, as Peter said, a living hope. It's not a hope that's built in something on this earth. It's not a hope that's built on a stock market. It's not a hope that's built on the government. It's not a hope that's built on the money in my bank account. But it is a hope that is built on Jesus Christ. It is a living hope. And when we are in covenant relationship with God, it sustains us and carries us and empowers us and strengthens us. And even when we have a bad day, the covenant relationship still stands. Hallelujah. Because it's a covenant and He's not going to back out. Nothing in this world can satisfy like being in a covenant relationship with Jesus. So now the question is, Pastor, you've made that covenant relationship sound really good. How do I get into a covenant relationship with Jesus? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Let me help you out. In the Old Testament, the people were in covenant with Yahweh because they were the people of His name. His name was so important to the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, they treated it with such respect. As a matter of fact, I'm saying the name Yahweh. We don't even know that's how it was pronounced. We estimate that's probably how about it sounds. But we don't know how it was pronounced because they refused to say it. They had so much respect. You know, I, I said Shema Israel Yahweh Elhenu. They wouldn't say that. They would say something like Shema Israel Hashem Elhenu. The name. They would not say Yahweh. They would not say the name of their God. Why? Because they recognized that the name of their God was tied directly to their covenant and to their salvation. And they had respect for it. Amen. But every time the priests would call the blessing over the children of Israel, they would call the name of Yahweh down over the people of Israel. Every time they would say it over and over again, they were saying the name of Yahweh over the people. The Lord, Yahweh, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make His face shine upon you and be gracious. The Lord, Yahweh, lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And then Numbers 6.27 says, So they shall put my name on the children of Israel. And I will bless them. Why were they blessed? Because His name was on them. Because they were in covenant relationship. Because the name was put on them. Because they were called by His name. It was the name that set them apart. And it was the name that identified them as covenant people. And so then when you get to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 16, let's turn there. I know I'm preaching a little longer than I normally preach this morning, but this is important. This is where you get ready to say, okay, this is what I need to do. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus comes to his disciples. In Caesarea Philippi, and he says, who do men say that I, I the Son of Man, am? Matthew 16, 13. And they go through a few scenarios. They say, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say Elijah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus turns to his 12. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter turns around in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What is Peter saying? Peter is a Jew. Peter is under the covenant of the nation of Israel. He lives and breathes Shema Israel, 
Yahweh Elhenu, Yahweh Akkad. He believes there is only one God. He knows there is only one God. He's been taught it as a little boy growing up. And he turns to Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, Jesus, you are the living embodiment of Yahweh. Amen. Everything that is God in the Old Testament is in you. The mighty God, the one who parted the seas, the one who was with his people, the God who created the covenant was standing in front of Peter. Jesus Christ. That's what the Christ means. The living embodiment of Yahweh. Peter didn't, Jesus didn't say to me, whoa, 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 hold up, Peter. No, no, you got that wrong. You got that wrong. No, no. He said, blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter was blessed because he was right. Amen. And then we fast forward to the book of Acts. In the day of Pentecost, and we know the story, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind, Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Ghost is being poured out, and the upper room is full of people that is speaking in other tongues and worshiping God. And they spill out into the streets, and they're rejoicing, and they're, they're praising God. And the people in Jerusalem are wondering, what is going on? These people are drunk. These people are crazy. What's happening? And Peter stands up. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What did Joel say? And it shall come to pass, verse 21. And he gives the rest of the prophecy and then he finishes with what Joel says. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as he is preaching to these Jews, these believers in one God, these people in covenant relationship with God, he finishes his sermon with this. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel, verse 20, 36, let all the house of Israel, let everybody who is in a covenant relationship with Yahweh, let all the people who are separated to God, let all of God's covenant people know that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. There's that word again. Peter is saying, this Jesus who you crucified, God is in Jesus, the living embodiment of Yahweh. And straight away, straight away, they turn to him. They say, what are we going to do? You've got to understand these people have been in covenant relationship with God for generations. And they are waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting for God to come and rescue them. And he comes. Peter says, it's the living embodiment of Yahweh and you killed him. And they realize, help, we're not under covenant anymore. We've missed it. We've killed the Messiah. That was where we had to go. He was the one who was to save us, and we've missed it. And they cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do, Peter? Help us out. And Peter turns to them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. He says, And Peter said unto them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. 
and you shall receive uh, the gift uh, of the Holy Ghost. What is Peter saying? He's connecting Joel, uh, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he's connecting it with Numbers chapter 6 uh, and verse 27, where the priests uh, would invoke the name of Yahweh uh, over the people. Amen. And Jesus is the Christ, uh, the living embodiment of Yahweh. And Peter's saying, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And when I put you under, I am invoking the name of God over you. Amen. And that means the covenant that has been missed because you killed the Messiah. You are now in a new covenant. Hallelujah. That's how you get into the new covenant. Amen. When you are baptized in the name of Jesus, you become a part of the covenant people. It is in baptism that the name of the covenant is called over us. Peter is saying, you can still be a part of the covenant. You've got to have the name of the Lord called over you. Who is the Lord? His name is Jesus. For Jesus is the Christ, the living embodiment of Yahweh. Hallelujah. This is why Hebrews writes, the author of Hebrews writes, Chapter 9 and verse 15, he says that, And for this reason he is the mediator, talking about Jesus, of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. Get the significance of that. Get the significance of that. Because this old covenant that all these people of Israel were under, right? their sins were never forgiven. Yes, they were covenant people, but all they could do because the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews tells us, was not sufficient to take away the sins as they would push it on every year on the day of atonement. It would be pushed on and pushed on. And then Jesus, the living embodiment of Yahweh, the one God made flesh, hallelujah, comes to earth, pays the price with his own precious blood, as Peter said, a lamb who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And he pays the price and he opens the door to the new covenant and he says the old covenant that can be taken away hallelujah because the old covenant was not perfect but this covenant this covenant where you can enter into by having my name called over you that's the covenant that we can stand in hallelujah that is why my friends that baptism in the name of Jesus is so important it is so much more than just the remission of sins hallelujah when you are baptized in the name of Jesus you are taking on the covenant name of God you are entering into a covenant relationship with God and what does that mean you're entering into a new life you are a new creation old things have passed away all things become new and my God becomes your God and he will never leave you nor forsake you and God's will for your life begins to get fulfilled and God's purpose and plan begins to take place why? because you are in covenant with him you're in relationship with him you are called by his name he has put his name on you in baptism you are identified as a covenant person and when we are in covenant with Him, as we all stand this morning, when we are in covenant with Him, 
We are in covenant with a God that is far better than anything this world could ever offer. In fact, they don't even compare. Can I tell somebody today, nothing satisfies like a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody else has answers for life's problems like Jesus does. Nobody else can satisfy. Nobody else can lift you up. Nobody else can heal you like Jesus does. No one else can mend the broken heart. Hallelujah. But it starts with being in a covenant relationship with God where you identify yourself with His name and you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And when you are in covenant with Him, you are no longer tied to this world, but you are connected to something eternal. Hallelujah. The world begins to lose its attraction. The world begins to lose its shine. It doesn't seem quite so good anymore because I'm in a covenant relationship with Jesus. And nothing compares to that. Nothing could ever even come close to that. A covenant relationship. That is what God is calling us to. And so... Now my question for you is the same question that Ananias asked Paul. Why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. That is what we have to do. We have to enter into a covenant relationship with God. This is why Paul, later on, he wrote in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. It is baptism to salvation. Hallelujah. It's a covenant relationship that leads us to salvation. It's not works. Hallelujah. Lest any should boast. But it is the response of a heart to the gospel of God's word. It says, I want to be in covenant like the children of Israel, like Abraham was. I want to be in covenant with my Savior. And it's a better covenant. It's the best covenant. And it's open for us today. Praise your Lord. As Sister Janie gets ready to sing this morning, I still ask that question, why wait? Why tarry thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And I don't know if there's anyone here who needs to be baptized in Jesus' name, but today is a great day to do it. Amen. Today is a great day to enter into covenant relationship with Jesus. To say, you know what? I want to be a part of the covenant. I want to be under the new covenant that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. I didn't deserve it. I haven't earned it. But I can enter into it through the grace of God. Amen. And as Sister Janie plays, if you want to come and pray, we're not really going to have a long altar service, I guess. But if you want to pray, you've got something on your heart you want to talk to the Lord about, come and pray. And then if you want to get baptized in the name of Jesus, you talk to me. And I will gladly do it. Amen. Nothing would bring me greater joy than to have someone else enter into a covenant relationship with God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.